All right, so our passage tonight we're going to be focusing on is Matthew eleven twenty five to 30. It's found there in your order of worship, or if you'd like to turn in your Bible, or go to your smartphone, and go to your Bible app, however you read your Bible, please follow along. Um, so many of you uh, know, or you at least know now, uh, Ivy and I are expecting a child in November, first one, and we're very excited about it. And, uh, and so naturally, I've just been thinking about Disney a lot more um, than usual, than I normally do. And Friday night, like this Friday night, Ivy and I watched the original 101 Dalmatians, one of my all-time favorites. And um, if you've seen it, you know about Cruella de Vil. And you probably know the song. Like, as I said that out loud, you probably started humming it in your, in your mind. She is utterly enamored by fur coats. And she will stop at nothing until she gets a Dalmatian fur coat. And so she'll stop at nothing until she captures as many Dalmatians as possible. And you have dad uh, Dalmatian puppy, Pongo. And you have mom Dalmatian, uh, 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 the mom is um, Purdy. So you have Pongo and you have Purdy. And they are upset. Cruella is like on the hunt. Most of the movie is this relentless search party um, for these lost puppies, and they will stop at nothing until they find them. And there are a couple of times where um, they're really overwhelmed by this. Mom and dad, um, Pongo and, and Purdy, are overwhelmed by this. And uh, with, with such a defeated tone um, at different points in the movie, Purdy will just look at Pongo in distress and fatigue, just worn out by the search and worry, and she'll just say, oh, Pongo, oh, Pongo. Like, it's just so overwhelming, and she says it, it's just so sad. Oh, Pongo, there's nothing else to say. What are we going to do? And then I started thinking about another character, another Disney character who knows like in his bones, what it means to live in a fallen world, who knows that life is not uh, as it's supposed to be, and that is Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And rather than his peppy tiger friend, Tigger, who's bouncing around everywhere, Eeyore mopes around deeply tuned in to the fact that life is really hard and life can be really sad. And so both of these Disney characters, in their own particular way, um, they're aching. They are, are feeling the weight of life in a fallen world in their own little Disney worlds. In our text this afternoon, what we're going to look like, we're going to look at is probably the most famous invitation recorded in the Gospels from Jesus, from his mouth. It's where Jesus looks around and he looks at weary people. He knew full well how sick the world is with sin and how worn down everybody is. And he says... Come to me. Come to me. And I don't know where you all are uh, tonight, this afternoon. I don't know where you are, but I am confident that at some point in your life, you have been absolutely worn out by life in a fallen world. Someone in your family has died. Your parents might have gotten divorced. And maybe tonight... You're at the end of yourself this evening. Like, maybe you're there tonight. And in Matthew 11, again, Jesus extends this invitation to worn out, weary, tired, fatigued people. 
And he is promising if you accept this invitation that is packed full of things, you will get real rest and real life. Real rest and real life. I'm going to read the passage now and pray and we're going to walk through it. It's God's word. He's spoken to us not to give us rules or an exam. He's spoken to us because he loves us. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, your word is living and active, and we know that's true because you are living and active. But Lord, our minds are restless and our hearts are busy, and so we do ask that by your spirit you would slow us down. That we would not just hear your word, but do your word, and that Jesus would be made much of during this time, and we ask it in his name. Amen. So, uh, game plan tonight, two points. First is being with Jesus, and then learning from Jesus. First, being with Jesus. Second, learning from Jesus. And I have to admit, because this invitation from Jesus is packed full of so much, and it is so famous, I struggled so hard to come up with something that made sense with the point. So being with Jesus and learning from Jesus, that's what we're going to do. Being with Jesus. Jesus' heart, y'all, is on full display in this passage. Like, if you've been a Christian for very long and you've read this, like, you, it has probably undone you in some way and at some point. Or at least you thought, man, it would be amazing to believe that. Like, his heart is on full display and there's so much going on in the invitation. So what does he offer? What does he offer here? The first thing he offers, Jesus just wants us to be with him. That's all. Jesus is offering himself. There's no spiritual exercise, no New Year's resolutions, no Bible reading plans. He just says to weary, worn out people, come and go away with me. Come and go away with me. Jesus longs for the weary and worn out to be with him. And being with Jesus, we see two things that follow. The first, we just dwell with him. Or John's language, we abide in him. I, I think the same thing is going on. If John wrote this scene, he would have said, you know, abiding in Jesus is really what this invitation is all about. Jesus, again, looks around and sees fatigued people, and he simply extends this invitation, come to me, dwell with me. I love this paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. He just says, get away with me. Let's go. Get away with me. And as I've been thinking about this this week, I've become convinced that you could argue that the entire biblical story is encapsulated in those words. Where God looks at sinful people and he says, come to me. Because in the beginning, uh, in the biblical story, you know this, the Garden of Eden, what was, what was going on in the Garden of Eden? What was the point of the place? Creation, God, the Garden of Eden was the dwelling place of God and man, where they were in communion 
together before sin came onto the scene. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, an Old Testament book about two lovers, I want you to just hear this in a fresh way. Two lovers speaking together to one another here. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear, uh, and on the earth the time is, of singing is come, and the voice of the, the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They love my beautiful one, and come away with me. Come, my beloved, let us go out in the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes blossoms and, and have opened the pomegranates are in bloom. Come away with me. The church's bridegroom, Jesus Christ, looks at his people and says to his beloved, come away with me. Dwell with me. You might know that the, the Apostle Paul's favorite image to use to describe Christ's relationship to the church is what? It's marriage. And you cannot get any more intimate than that, than that relationship, because words truly do fail to describe the intimacy that Jesus is inviting weary people to. And then we read in the beginning of John's Gospel that God, the Word, took on flesh. And what did he do? Dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. The great realities of the incarnation, what we celebrate and sing about every Advent, every December, is one of Jesus' titles, Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. He wants to be with you. He wants to dwell with you. And now that Christ has ascended, he's not physically here with us. But he has sent his spirit to dwell in us, his word to be alive and active in us, his body and blood at the Lord's table to console and feed us. Through his spirit, word, and sacraments, Christ has said to his people, I'm gone, but come away with me still and see what I'm about. I'm with you always and I will never let you go until the end of the age. The word says so, my spirit confirms it, and the body and blood at this table says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Being with Jesus consists of intimately dwelling with him, but it also consists of resting. Being with Jesus means you rest with Jesus. To the weary and worn out, Jesus offers rest. That's 28 and 29, perhaps the most famous lines in the invitation from Jesus. When you're in the presence of Jesus, true lasting rest does follow, not just physically, but spiritually. It's not about performing for Jesus. Being with Jesus involves this deep spiritual rest that is rooted in otherworldly contentment. Because rest and contentment, if you talk about rest, you have to talk about contentment in some way or some version of contentment. I mean, if you think about what the Sabbath is or if you keep the Sabbath, which I encourage you to do, it's really great, you kind of have to stop performing. You have to, you actually have to rest that, and actually trust physically that if I do not work today, Jesus' work on my behalf is sufficient. Jesus is enough. You have to, you have to buy into that to actually truly rest physically and spiritually. It's actually possible, this true 
rest because Jesus really is sufficient. He really is sufficient. Now, rest and relief that, that he offers the weary is both this kind of calm, consoling rest from life, life's burdens. It's also like a staying in place, like turning it off, rest, physically and spiritually. It's finished. I can rest in what he's done. Yes, that's true. It also is like a different way to live in the world from a place of rest and a posture of contentment. And so one, one, the, the poet I mentioned last week, David White from Seattle, he says this, rested, we're ready for the world, but not held hostage by it. Rested, we are ready for the world, but not held hostage by it. And so Jesus offers rest like in everyday life, not just like Sabbath rest, but everyday rest. Rest from the pressure of doing online school perfectly. Rest from the fear of work deadlines and first dates. Rest from panic attacks, prescription drug addiction, trauma, eating disorders, and depression. Jesus offers rest from the pressure of always having to have the yard kept and the kitchen clean and spotless. Jesus offers rest for those who are worried about the virus. Real rest right here, right now, every day. And I'm grateful that he offers this because we can't like muster it up. Like we cannot achieve this rest on our own. And if you've tried, you know, uh, it just ends in burnout. It truly does. One commentator says this, I hope you hear this. Coming to Jesus, simply coming to him, is the condition for finding relief. All we need to do is to choose the sphere of his presence and the unnatural pressures borne down upon us by both the world and ourselves begin to dissipate. As long as man is trying to impress God with his own hero heroics, the heavens will remain shut. So friends, I, I hope you know you don't have to do this alone if you are weary and worn out, if you find yourself there this evening. And some of us, like, you don't have to experience trauma and go through grief and to have that acutely felt in your everyday life, be weary. This is a catch-all term for like all people who are in a fallen world and who need a savior. That's all of us. You don't have to do this alone. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to give you real rest. So I had a friend from seminary. His name's Israel. And Israel, wonderful person. Great guy. He's uh, a counselor in North Carolina. And he is like hilariously good looking and has the best personality and he's a, like the best dresser and he's a great listener, just kind of, kind of looks like a high school quarterback type. Like he's just, he's just kind of, Israel's kind of got it going on. And failed relationship after failed relationship and he wants to be a husband so bad left him hopeless. It just knocked him out, one, one failed relationship after another. And he was in my kitchen a few years ago after experiencing a breakup. And he really, he was saving up for a ring. He was gonna ask her to marry him. And he just said this to me. And I'm like, I'm visibly frustrated at the situation because I love this guy so much and he's gonna be such a great husband and I'm so heartbroken. And this is what he said with a really calm voice. I have been through a lot in my life, Matt. God has always walked with me through all of it, through all of the heartbreak, 
heartbreak. And now in this disappointment and pain, I know that God is going to keep taking care of me. I know that God is going to, to keep taking care of me. My friend, in, the, in his pain, in that moment, embodied an everyday, real, calm confidence in the sufficiency of Jesus. Usually, you know, one of the reasons I want to use that story is because usually when we highlight real satisfaction and contentment from the saints of the past, they're usually like martyr stories, and those are amazing stories. This is like in my kitchen. This is everyday contentment in Jesus. I hope you, hope you feel that, like it's real, available to you and to me. Everyday contentment and rest in Jesus. So that's being with Jesus, point one. Point two, we're going to go to that one now, learning from Jesus. Learning from Jesus. So being a Christian certainly consists of refreshing spiritual and physical rest. True rest. But the way of Jesus also is a completely new way of living. A completely new way of living everyday life. Instead of bearing life burdens on your own, on your back, God's kingdom life is light. Kingdom living is light. Verse 29, Jesus invites the weary to take his yoke upon themselves. Take my yoke upon you. It's important that we understand what he means by that, how his audience would have heard that historically. When Jesus' audience heard him say yoke, they would have thought of a couple of things, most likely. They would have thought about farming, because a yoke was a farming instrument. And it was a wooden frame that joined two animals that would get in tandem side by side and pull stuff together to lighten the load. But it was a farming instrument. But a yoke also referred to this catch-all term really of oppression. Oppression, they would have thought of Egyptian bondage. They would have thought of God's people just generally being burdened by oppression of pagan nations. They also would have thought about being oppressed by the inflexibility of God's law. It is too much for us to do. The law is too much. And so Jesus is saying, look, take my yoke upon you because I won't weigh you down. Life with me is light. My burden is not heavy. That's what he's saying. Commentator says this, walk with me and work with me. His paraphrase. I love this. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. you've seen the Star Wars movies, any of them, you know that the notion of being an apprentice is profoundly important in the storyline. In that galaxy far, far away, being an apprentice is very important. And so you have young Jedi, and they were apprenticed by an older, wiser, more experienced Jedi. And so you have master and apprentice. And then I was reminded of this kind of master and apprentice um, teacher and learner dynamic, this Netflix documentary series called Chef's Table, you've probably seen that, or at least seen it advertised, and there's this new edition, it's about barbecue, and it is amazing, y'all need to watch it like tonight, if that's restful for you, um, uh, it is to me, but I love this documentary because I love barbecue, and each episode zooms in on a particular uh, pit master, their story, their technique, their region of the world, etc., 
And here are some of the, the barbecue pit masters they talk about. Tootsie uh, Tominets. She is from the hill country of Texas and an overall legend. She is wonderful. You have Lennox Hasty in Sydney, Australia. You have Rodney Scott in Charleston. In every single episode, at some point, it's like clockwork, you can predict it. Every pitmaster in the documentary learned from and was trained by an older, wiser chef and pitmaster, all of them. These chefs learned the skills of barbecue from their masters and years of hands-on training. They weren't learning about barbecue. They were learning like how to do barbecue with a master. Following Jesus, friends, involves hands-on training in the skills of godliness from the master himself. Truly. Following Jesus means we are apprenticed by Jesus. Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentator says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. Learn from me, not just learn about me. Don't just do doctrine. Don't just hear the word. Do the word with me because I'm always doing it, Jesus says. We could even translate, learn from me, Bruner says, as go to school with me. Go to school with me. I love that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've signed up. And you have said that Jesus is your primary guide and teacher for how to live in a fallen world. That's what you have said. He's all, he, you've said, he's died for me and forgiven my sins. Of course, Jesus is enough. And now like, I've got to go, like, go to school. And I've got to be a parent. And Jesus is my primary guide. He's the master. <clears throat> this makes us ask this question. When I'm using like master language, I don't, authority is a dirty word in our culture. And I, maybe authority is like challenging to you personally. I mean, it, it, we're all fallen and we're prone to wander away from authority, especially God's authority. But I just want to ask, like, do you trust him? It takes a lot of trust to do this. Not just to get rest and to dwell with him, but like to go do this yoke stuff of living with Jesus. It takes trust. You have to trust that his plan and his will is good. But authority for many of us isn't just like a postmodern, you know, allergy to authority, you know, that we learn about in our college classrooms. But like, it can also be a dirty word because we can actually get burned by authority of figures. And so perhaps when you think of authority figures, you think of an authoritarian, emotionally distant father who is like always on the couch and never showed you affection and still doesn't to this day. Maybe you think of a narcissistic boss who led with dishonesty and vanity. All he thought about was the bottom line, not about you or your life or your hours. Maybe the last time you entrusted yourself to a teacher or a coach or a pastor, you were burned you got disappointed and hurt. And it's like a big deal that you're even at church anymore. Friends, Jesus is not like that. He's not like that. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And as you walk and work with him, he has no interest, zero interest in weighing you down. He has no time for that. I can't say it better than this from a commentator. If Jesus' yoke is easy to bear, it's because his gentleness makes it easy to bear his yoke with him. He is not a plowing partner who will be dragging us violently and arbitrarily all over the field. 
He understands the sorrows and burdens that are ours as we strive to please his Father. He understands our shortcomings and weaknesses, and he stops to rest when we need respite. He compensates for our inabilities and encourages us when we want to go no farther. Brothers and sisters, that kind of life with Jesus that is light is possible. It's not tit for tat, do what to do list Christianity. That's not what he is interested in at all. It is a light kingdom life with Jesus, learning from him. He offers real rest, real life, and he's promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us in doing that. We haven't talked a lot about verses 25 to 27. I'm going to land the plane with this and close. But Jesus essentially allows his audience to overhear him praying to his father. Now, when you read this, I, you know, going to seminary and such, you read a lot of Bible. And so it reads... At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just, it sounds like, okay, let's get to the invitation. Let's get to come to me. We just skip over it. It just sounds like gospel narrative fluff, setting us up for the real meat of the passage. I think if we, I'm going to suggest something I think it's important. With this invitation, I think Jesus is saying, if you trust me in this invitation, you accept it. And what I'm offering, you can have the same access to my father that I have in that prayer that you just heard. If you accept this invitation, you're going to get real rest, real life, the light kingdom living. Yes, you're going to get that. But you're going to get all that because you're going to have access to the father that only I have. That you just overheard me praying. I think that's what's going on. We have no words for this intimacy. In other words, when Jesus is saying, come away with me, he's saying, come away with my father. Come away with my spirit. I want you to be completely and utterly in union with me, like I am with the Trinity. It is crazy. I think that's what's going on. Might be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. It is a crazy invitation. And friends, it is the life that you are made to live. You are made for that. Your, you know, the Augustine phrase that has been quoted so much. Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And friends, all you got to do to get it is to take it. Not to work, not to earn. Just take it. So let's take it. For the first time, or thousandth time, we pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word and we want it to be living and active in our own lives. We want not to just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. We don't want to just learn about you. We want to learn what you're about in obeying you and learning from you as our master. Lord, many of us, we're just in so many different places spiritually and because life is really hard, trusting you can be difficult. Trusting that you're good, that your plan is good, that we're not just gonna get burnt. So Lord, I do ask that wherever people are here tonight, that they would not just hear this invitation to be like something that would be in a Christian bookstore on a wall, 
but that would hear it and see and to hear and to sense and to believe and experience the heart of Jesus, that he actually is trustworthy. So empower us to follow him in our everyday life and to be changed. In Christ's name, amen.